Hi everyone, this is Darius Sulam from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Expert Answers. Today we are joined by Dr. Jonathan Brestoff, Assistant Professor at the Department of Pathology and Immunology at Washington University School of Medicine. Recently, John joined us to explain how energy expenditure can be better described thanks to a new bioinformatic algorithm known as ClamBake. Let's dive in. Could you determine the shivering contribution to AT by treating mice with Curare, which inhibits muscle contraction? That is a great idea. We should do that. Thank you. We have not done that, but I believe that that would be a very valuable additional data set and could help us potentially to parse out the contribution from shivering from other adaptive thermogenic mechanisms. Thank you. All right, awesome. Another question here. At a given ambient temperature in the clambake analysis, why does adaptive energy expenditure increase at night in warmer temperatures or not decrease in colder temperatures with increased activity? Since that increased physical activity means that compared to light phase at a given ambient temperature, there should be an increase in endogenous energy reduction from activity. Okay, so there's a lot a lot going on in that question. First of all, thank you for that question. I think the answer in the warmer temperatures about why there is some adaptive energy expenditure is that they're not truly at 100% thermoneutrality. These mice also were reared at room temperature, so they were have been have a lifetime of exposure to mild cold stress. And then we warm adapted them for a period of time. So we have not completely shut off adaptive thermogenesis mechanisms. So I think that's the that answer is the first question. So with the colder temperatures, the mice actually are moving around a little bit less. So the reason why there isn't an increase in activity from increase in energy expenditure and clam bake from and colder exposures from activities because they're just moving around less. Okay, perfect. Answer the question. But if not, Tibor, please please contact me and we can discuss later. Another question here, it appears that basal metabolic rate is not circadian at thermoneutrality based on clam bake. As the temperature drops, BMR at the dark period is even lower than the light cycle. This appears to be counterintuitive. So maybe you can comment on on this. Yes, thank you. Hi, Ben. Thank you so much. It's nice to have a question from you. So yes, the basal metabolic rate is not circadian at thermoneutrality. That's correct. I think what's happening is that as the temperature is dropping, there there is a, a progression of the light-dark phase. And so there is a drop in some of the BMR estimate that's driven by probably a loss of lean mass over time. The other thing is that this is really just a, an algorithm to kind of estimate what basal metabolic rate is. And it's very difficult actually to directly measure basal metabolic rate in live mice. So I think you have to take the basal metabolic rate data with a little bit of a grain of salt and use it in light of all the other data that you have to interpret what is really happening. I think that's probably the best answer that I can give you. One of the things that we're trying to do is actually, especially at thermoneutrality, we are gating on the um, sleepy box so that we can identify periods where the mice are basically not moving at all. And we're going to be, this is they're also not eating, they're not, they're not moving. So this is actually a period where at thermoneutrality, the vast majority, if not all, of their energy expenditure should be driven by basal metabolic rate. And so we're trying to actually fine tune the BMR estimate by doing that kind of analysis 
and comparing it to the measured, the estimated BMR versus the measured BMR during those sleep epochs. And we're hoping that that will actually give us a better characterization of the BMR. And that will be done in the next iteration of Clambake. Wonderful. Perfect. Another question here. How important is the frequency of sampling and measuring VO2 and VCO2 in order to use the program? I see. Okay, so uh, I don't think it matters that much. It works with fewer intervals. You don't have to have 254 intervals of data for this to work. It can handle more intervals, as I've shown you. But there probably is a limit where you do need some level of resolution, but I feel that probably most contemporary metabolic cage systems provide a sampling frequency and interval frequency that is sufficient for Clambake. Perfect, thanks. So does Clambake account for anaerobic energy use, for example, through the gut microbiome? Oh, that's an interesting question. We have not interrogated that. I, I don't think Clambake is going to have the capacity to measure that component. The reason being that we're not really measuring anything regarding the microbiome in the metabolic cages. So I don't think there's a real, there's probably not a way for us to realistically encode that variable in our algorithm. Okay, wonderful. Another question here. Thank you for sharing Climbake with us. In your flock versus cold knockout study, you have a few animals eating around a gram of food in the cold knockout group at five degrees Celsius. Initially, you made the point that mice will eat more with decrease in temperature. How would you comment this apparent discrepancy? Yes, thank you. The reason for this, I believe, is actually the nature of the cold exposure. So in the first experiment that we showed you when we're gradually dropping the temperature by five degrees Celsius, there, this is sort of like modeling a change of the seasons. And this is, allow, gives the mice plenty of time to adapt their physiology. And so they are able to compensate for the increase in energy expenditure by increasing their food consumption rate. But when we do the acute cold exposure model, this is more like modeling a cold front moving in. It's like polar vortex in, the, in these metabolic cages. And in this case, the mice are, en are entering into torpor very quickly. And they're essentially entering into a hibernation-like state where their, their activity and their food intake goes down during that period. So I think it has to do with the difference in the model and the kinetics of the cold exposure. Perfect. Uh, another question, I'm going to combine these, these questions here. First part is, is Clambake publicly available? And then can it be used on data already collected with the metabolic cages? Or do you have to use the software upfront? So Clambake is not publicly available yet. We haven't published on it. We would like to disseminate it and make it available to people. And this is part of why we're requesting that you complete the survey that's in the resources tab. It really would provide us some valuable direction about how you would like this to be deployed. All of our analyses are done using data that we previously collected with Clambake. So this algorithm can be used with previously acquired data sets. I think there are a couple of different models for deployment of this. One is as an isolated package that one could use, uh, which requires actually having resources to maintain that package over time. So we are thinking that a, perhaps a more sustainable model would, for, would be for this system or for Clambake to be actually incorporated into metabolic cage software, which would also be a bit more user-friendly because then you could just export the data and the analyses directly from the metabolic cage system. and. Uh, I'm not sure what the best strategy is. Would look to guidance from the community about how they would like to see this deployed. And uh, it will be made publicly available when we are able to get this publication out the door and peer reviewed. Awesome, perfect. 
How do you measure the individual components of total energy expenditure, especially TEF and BMR? So the the thermic effect of food in is really so. First of all, we're using an ensemble of machine learning approaches, some of which we don't have a lot of information about how the model is actually being generated. So I actually can't. I don't know if I or anyone can answer how exactly how the individual components for total energy expenditure are derived. Some of them are derived based off of established relationships among the variables, but the system, is, the algorithm is complicated. And this is a sort of a trade-off for some machine learning approaches where you don't get, you, there's a little bit of a black box and you don't get visibility into it. The thermic effect of food is modeled, the way that we modeled it was by having a cohort of mice where we had, we measured them under fasted conditions as well as fed conditions. It's not a perfect model, obviously, but it's the best that we could do, I think, with our system. And then we relied on the algorithm to tell us what the thermic effect of food is. And then it's incumbent upon us to validate that. If you see a phenotype where you have an increase in thermic effect of food, and you want to chase that down, then it really requires you to, this is a predictive tool. It doesn't actually, it's not a direct measurement of thermic effect of food. And you'd really have to pursue this with an additional method and, and verify that that is in fact the case. Perfect. Thank you. Could you please comment on whether you observed any sex differences and have you tried using running wheels and are these able to be used with clam bake? That is a great question. We included both males and females in all of our uh, training data sets and also in some of our validation data sets. So we can go, we have not yet gone and looked at sex differences, but we can do that very easily and we will. So thank you for that suggestion. The second part was running wheels. We our system. We have running wheels uh, that are available in our system. They're optional, and we did not use them for validation of uh, for development of Clambake. It's something that could be incorporated in future iteration of the model. Perfect. Next question is: What about using Clambake for human whole room calorimeter data? I would love to be able to do that to use Clambake to assess humans. However, I believe that the current model is probably not going to work for humans because we validated it and built it on mouse data. So I think we would have to basically apply the same concept and start over and analyze the data with a human cohort in order to build a new training data set to but essentially use the same method for Clambake, but with human data. Perfect. So at 30 degrees Celsius, adaptive EE is greatest during the beginning of the dark cycle, coinciding with the time of most food intake. Do you interpret this adaptive EE at 30 degrees to be driven by food, i.e. diet-induced thermogenesis? And did you look at the breakdown of EE in mice acutely fed a high-fat diet at, at 30 degrees? Thank you. That's a very good point. And I think I might have spoken a little bit to this before. It's possible that the slight increase in energy expenditure from adaptive thermogenesis at 30 degrees C is driven by diet-induced thermogenesis. That is very possible. We, the other possibility, however, is that these mice were reared at room temperature and then acclimated to thermoneutrality. And therefore, um, I don't think we can fully disentangle residual brown and beige fat function as uh, sort of conventional adaptive thermogenesis from diet-induced thermogenesis at this time. I think that would require a, probably a validation on a different data set. Um, awesome. we, 
we have um, UCP1 knockouts reared at, at uh, thermoneutrality do have an impairment in diet-induced thermogenesis. And we actually could use that data set probably to look at your question. And so we will go ahead and do that. Thank you very much. Perfect. In your second knockout model, there was a lot of noise in basal metabolic rate. Is this real? And if not, what is responsible? So the reason why there's noise is because this is actually what I showed you for that is actually just an individual mouse. I think that the basal metabolic rate is, we're probably slightly overestimating it and it is just an estimate. So it's all about how it fits in with all the other data set. I don't think that the noise in BMR is real. I think that that is a function of the model and of the metabolic cage system. Basal metabolic rate theoretically should be stable and with this algorithm. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune in to future episodes where researchers, just like you, answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.